When Danica was in grade three, she was a good worker. She knew the value of putting in an honest effort. But according to her diary, Danica didn't exactly inherit her work ethic. June 13th. Dear diary, there are two lazy bums in my family. My mom and dad. That's Danica wishing her parents weren't so lazy. I'm Dan Meisner, and this... This is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. Hello, St. Albert. Oh, boy, oh, boy, it is nice to see you. This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live in St. Albert, we have a pet kangaroo, a poem about love and geometry, and teenage angst over citrus fruit. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and it can help us understand who we are. So think about who you were when you were a kid, and stick around. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Microsoft Surface and Teams. At CDW, we get the future of remote meetings works differently. Oh, going right from launch directly into a meeting, that could be awkward. But with Microsoft Surface devices with Teams orchestrated by CDW, the future works better. Touchscreen voice capabilities keep Teams engaged and productive, enabling you to always collaborate with confidence. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining. Psst, you have a spinach in your teeth. Thanks for the tip, man. IT orchestration by CDW. People who get it. Find out more at cdw.com surface. One of the hallmarks of being a teenager is a healthy sense of righteous indignation. And our next reader, Jordan, is a prime example. Jordan is going to read a poem that he wrote in grade nine. And what you need to understand about this poem that Jordan wrote is that he wrote it after being shocked by how early in the year Christmas oranges went on sale. Please welcome Jordan to our stage. I went to the store today and found a box of Christmas oranges in September. Far too early, for the meaning itself was tossed aside. I buy one? What is this? This vile, limp, putrid, sour, but tasteless thing. This is no Christmas orange. This thing rushed out to meet demand. This mandarin orange. Force-fed, no care, pride gone. Why? For the money, the almighty, all-devouring dollar. This lie in exchange for all care. This is not what happy memories are made of. In disgust, I throw it at the wall, and it remains solid as a rock. Try hard, but all are like this now. It's called progress. But who needs a good product, right? But that's not the point of this orange. Not for money. Sigh. 
I can't exactly grow them myself. And so my money goes into the pockets of the thieves of my childhood. (laughs) Um, And here's the author's note. Um, In this poem, the speaker is me, as this is based, bast, sorry, bast, on an actual event that happened last week. The occasion is that I am disgusted by the horrible quality of my early Christmas orange. I used many literary devices in this poem. For example, simile, and it remains solid as a rock. Symbol, the disgusting orange, is a symbol for the disadvantages of mass production. Some support for this is that the orange is of less quality than ones that aren't corporate. I also use some very strong words, such as devouring, as in, as in that this thing engulfs all things and that everything else is powerless to stop it. And thieves, when used in this context, uh, to me mean that these people took something very important to me and that the thieves are obviously only interested in money. My poem relates to the... (laughs) To the impatience of man by relaying a story of an object that is only supposed to be available... At a certain time of the year, coming out earlier and earlier every year, my message is that people need to learn to be patient, and that if they wait, the end result will be worth waiting for. Thank you. How lucky to so early in life learn the things that you believe so passionately. I love it when a reading is both entertaining and educational. And our next reader, Millie, brought along a piece of writing that fits both descriptions. When she was in grade four, Millie sat down and she wrote a how-to guide all about how to take care of your pet kangaroo. Please welcome Millie to our stage. The title is Millie Winzinowicz's 10-Step Guide to Living with Your Kangaroo. (laughs) Step one, choosing your pet kangaroo. Do not choose the one that bounces too high and crashes its head on the top of the cage. Pick the one that thumps its foot at the sight of you and can play the banjo. Do not get kangaroos in pairs, or they will not sleep or eat, and they will not live very long. (laughs) Step two, 
naming your kangaroo. Do not name your kangaroo Boxer or Pounder. It will give it the idea that it has to be violent. Some good names for a kangaroo are Jumper, Jumpy, or Roo. Step three, training your kangaroo. Do not train your kangaroo to jump on the trampoline or the couch. They will jump too high and you will have to get roof repairs if you do. A good thing to train them to do is to do ballet. Do not get him electric guitar lessons because then your kangaroo will want to start a band. Step four, buying presents for your kangaroo. Do not buy your kangaroo boxing gloves or a wrestling suit. If you live in a place that has cold winters, like Calgary, buy them a woolen mittens and a scarf. If you live in a hot place, buy them a nice hat and sunglasses. Step five, watching TV with your kangaroo. <laughs> Do not show them the movie Kangaroo Jack. <laughs> or boxing shows. They could pick up bad habits. They like to watch SpongeBob SquarePants on Nickelodeon. Step six, feeding your kangaroo. When you buy your kangaroo, don't forget to buy them prairie grass seeds. It is very important in their diet. Do not feed them people food more than once a week because it will probably give them a tummy ache. Step seven, grooming your kangaroo. Grooming your kangaroo is easy. They love to take baths but you have to make sure they have a life jacket and water wings. <laughs> also, it has to be a bubble bath or your kangaroo will be very hyper afterwards. You should try to give them a bath before bed. Step eight, going to the vet with your kangaroo. When you go to the vet, if he is getting a shot, be sure to put a big colorful band-aid on where he got his shot and give him a big hug after it's all over. If he gets a normal checkup, be sure to get a special lollipop. It has to be orange with purple stripes. <laughs> they love that kind. Taking your kangaroo to the movies. Do not show the movies filmed in Australia. Or they will get homesick. They like action-packed movies with no violence or swears. <laughs> they especially like movies that have a big surprise at the end. <laughs> Step 10, putting your kangaroo to bed. Make sure you read your kangaroo a bedtime story and kiss your kangaroo on the head before you turn off the light. Make sure you have a nightlight in the room where they sleep or they will have a bad dream. Kangaroos like to sleep with the door closed. <laughs> it helps them to get to sleep. Make sure to pull up the covers all the way. 
They do not like to be cold at night. Thank you. Millie, ladies and gentlemen. I am not a veterinarian, but Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids does not vouch for the zoological accuracy of any of Millie's advice. Jeans. They're an American staple. No article of clothing is more closely linked to our nation's history. Today, denim's a $90 billion industry, but that success didn't come easy. I'm David Brown, the host of Wondery Show Business Wars. We go deep into some of the biggest corporate rivalries of all time. And in our latest series, we're unzipping how Levi's, Lee, and Wrangler managed to take workman's wear from the frontier to the runway and closets around the world. Join us for Denim Wars. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. When our next reader, Janine, was in grade 11, she fancied herself a poet. And at our St. Albert show, she brought two examples. Now, for this first poem, there's a little bit of a backstory. You need to understand that Janine's grade 11 English teacher claimed to bathe only once a week. Inspired by this, Janine took Shakespeare's famous soliloquy, To Be or Not to Be, from Hamlet, and reworked it for her teacher. We're also going to hear a poem about what Janine describes as geometry love. Please welcome Janine to our stage. To bathe or not to bathe, that is the question. Whether tis nobler in mind to suffer the overwhelming odor on the body and suffer the consequences of a stained white shirt, or to raise one's arm to ask a question and by doing so, end them all. (laughs) They'll die, they'll sleep. No more I shall smell, and by a bath to say I end. The appalling smell and the thousand unnatural reactions toward my oily hair too. Tis a pleasure devoutly to be wished to bathe to shower, to wash, perchance to clean. A, there the cloth will rub. (laughs) For in that lather of clean, what girls may come? When I have wiped off this dirty soil, must give me some. I'll get respect that makes my Saturday night so long. For who would bear the bites and itches of lice? The deodorant's gone, the clean man's contumely, the pangs of disgusted loves, the soaps delay, the incense of cologne, and the burns that come in bathing in infested lakes, when he himself might his gluteus clean (laughs) with a bare bodkin. Who would these fardels bear? I smell and sweat under a weary life, but that the dread of something after cleanliness the undiscovered feeling from whose born no bather returns, <laughs> puzzles the will and makes me rather bear this stink I have than bathe with others that I know not of. <laughs> Thus, dirtiness does make cowards of us all.
This poem was originally a song. I can't remember the melody and I can't sing. <laughs> it's called Love Angles. I was sitting in the geometry chapter. Your angles remind me of a velociraptor. Your 120 degrees turn me on. And so that's why I wrote this song. Oh, 120 degrees, don't think of me as a sleaze. Oh, 120 degrees, let me see your vertices, please. I may know that we should not be. People say that you are twice my degree. You are in my mind all of the time, and I wish that you were mine, all mine, all mine. <laughs> oh, 120 degrees, you make me want to sneeze. Even though I am a sleaze, I love your sharp 120 degrees. My loving angle, at one point, I wanted a circle. But I realized you and I, babe, we were meant to be. I want to make you mine all mine so that we can form our own straight line. Oh, 120 degrees, even though I am in a sleaze. Oh, 120 degrees, come and be mine, please. I'm just guessing, but there's probably one or two mathematicians in the audience who is slightly aroused at the moment. <laughs> when we're growing up and learning to express ourselves through writing, we tend to wear our influences on our sleeves. When I was a kid, I loved The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and for several months after I first read it, all of my writing was filled with faux Britishisms in a kind of poor imitation of Douglas Adams's voice. And when our next reader, Tim, was growing up, he was influenced by the celebrated Canadian children's author Robert Munch. And in grade 13, Tim wrote a story entitled Billy and the Food Machine. One day, Billy was at the breakfast table, and he wanted a slice of toast and bacon and eggs. But his mom said, Billy, you only have 10 minutes to get ready for school, and it takes 15 minutes to make you bacon and eggs. There's no time. So Billy thought, so Billy thought that there must be a way to make any breakfast in time to get to school. On his way to school, Billy began dreaming up different machines that could make fast breakfast. He was thinking so hard that he walked right past the school. Not only did he walk past the school, he forgot to go back, and he walked straight downtown. <laughs> he kept walking until he walked into a window. Ouch, Billy said. This isn't my school. This isn't even a school. This is a store. <laughs> yes, yes it is a store. The most wonderful store if ever there was one, said a man dressed in fancy clothes. Who are you? asked Billy. The man said, I am the great Namzak, the magician who turns dreams into life. <laughs> Billy was happy. He had found someone who could help him no matter what the machine. He went into the store with Namzak to find anything to build the machine. Inside the store, they found all kinds of things, many of which Namzak didn't know were there. <laughs> 
Um, once Billy had found everything he wanted, he thanked Namzak and went to school. When he got back to school, Billy sat at his desk and poured all his new gadgets on his desk. Clang! Bang! Smash! Thud! Everyone turned around to see what happened. It's okay. It's only parts for my machine, said Billy. <laughs> Billy left the school, angry that everyone laughed at him. When he got home, he went to his room, poured out his supplies, clang, bang, smash, thud, and set to work. His first try looked like an inside-out donut, and it didn't work. His next try looked like a bagpipe being impaled by a trombone. When he tried this, it made food, but not people food. It made dog food. This was not what Billy wanted. Later, his 23 brothers and sisters came into, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, came into Billy's room and said in a loud voice, Billy, that won't work. <laughs> Billy said, we'll see about that. And he went to work. Later that day, Billy's machine looked like a mound of chocolate with five eyes, 13 teeth, and a snake coming out the top. <laughs> Not only that, it smelled like bananas and new car smell. Billy put in a golf ball, which provided the power to the machine, and out popped a perfectly made bacon and eggs. Billy ran downstairs, screaming, yay, 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 yay. He said to his mom, mommy, I invented a wonderful machine that makes bacon and eggs, or whatever, out of nothing when you put a golf ball into the power slot. That's wonderful, dear, but we don't need that anymore, his mom said. We just hired a chef. And I've also got sort of a little mini surprise. Um, I don't know at whose urging I did this, but I sent a copy of the story to Robert Munch himself. <laughs> and he wrote back, so I have some nice little Robert Munch um, letterhead, that's the word. Uh, and he wrote, Dear Timothy... Thanks for writing and for your story. What a very funny story. Keep writing. Sincerely, Bob Munch. Thank you. When Allie was 13, she kept a diary. And at our St. Albert show, she shared a number of entries, all about family, friends, and dog flatulence. July 1st, 2003. It's Canada Day. We went to Cold Lake. FYI, that's the name of a town next to a lake. We're not just going to a lake that's cold. <laughs> they, have, they have a pretty crappy parade, mostly old cars and fire trucks, but they make up for it by throwing around tons of candy. We grab as much as we can, but Grandma takes it all and divides it up evenly, like a communist. <laughs> Grandpa hides the best candies in his pockets for me for safekeeping. I thought it was his favorite, but later I found out he hides all the candy for all us kids. Oh well. <laughs> My brother's uh, friend came with us too. Apparently they're not dating yet. I think her parents only let her come on this trip, though, because they think he's gay. <laughs> We're driving home now, so we sat the dog on her lap, and he's just been farting on her the whole way home. 
but I don't care because I'm listening to my brand new Discman. Have you ever heard the song Bring Me to Life by Evanescence? <laughs> it's the best song ever. July 13th. We just got the second Lord of the Rings movie, but mom and dad forgot what the first movie was like. So now we have to watch that one instead. Oh, they're so old. <laughs> Adults are such narrow-minded people and somehow the world is run by them. For example, the world is going to blow up one day and they don't care because they'll be dead by then. If you don't believe me, go read a book or watch a movie. <laughs> Anyways, see ya. August 23rd. I'm nervous to start junior high school. What if I get lost? What if I can't open a locker? Yesterday, me and my BFF, that means best friend forever, <laughs> made stuff to decorate our lockers. Mom is taking me BTS shopping. That means back to school. <laughs> I'm going to buy skater shoes, so I look just like Avril Lavigne. She's my favorite. I also love Michelle Branch and Vanessa Carlton. <laughs> Christina Aguilera and Beyonce are okay. Some rappers I like are Nelly and 50 Cent. Anyways, bye. September 1st, 2003. The first day of school today. So far, none of my teachers seem too evil, but maybe they're just trying to be nice at the start to get our guards down. There's a boy in our class who is so hot, and that's spelled H-A-W-T. He failed a grade, and he has to repeat this year. Ooh, an older man. <laughs> Maybe junior high will be all right after all. Anyways, I have to go now. P.S. I always say goodbye at the end because anything I say here could be the last words I ever write. <laughs> Sorry if that sounds morbid, but death doesn't scare me. <laughs> Thank you. That is grown-ups read things they wrote as kids. Our show was recorded live at the Arden Theater in St. Albert, Alberta, and produced by Jenna Meisner. Our associate producer is Olivia Nashmi. Our music is by Poddington Bear and Lullatone. And our closing theme is Oh Dear Diary by Sloan. Our live event in St. Albert was presented in partnership with Star Literacy. Special thanks to Shelley Pasek and the St. Albert Further Education Association. Now that you have heard Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids, why not watch too? Just search for Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids on Facebook to see daily videos from readers across the country. Again, just search for Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids on Facebook. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening.